our main visual stuff died, which was wonderful. It was God giving us a chance to have an alternate course, and we did that. We hooked up a little projector that we have, and it all worked fine. So that's why we've had to readjust. Suddenly we got here today, and it was all healed. So we had to, we had to switch back to what we were doing. So anyway, those who are visiting, maybe have not been here before, we're studying the book of Judges, which is an amazing dive into really the faithfulness of God to his people. On Wednesday night, we studied a passage in Judges 10 when it says that the Lord watched the sinning and the tr struggles that Israel was going through, and it said, and it grieved his soul, that the Lord's soul wept over his people. And it just gives me chills to think of the faithfulness of God in each of our lives. Amen. And so today we're going to find an overall message here, Devin. And it's going to be that to know about God is to not know God. Okay. You can know all about him and really never know him. And you can't really get to know him until you really have an understanding of his word. Because it is in his word that he's revealed, that his essence is revealed, who he is. So this morning, the overall theme is going to be the importance of learning and knowing God's Word. I always put in our bulletin the big idea. I don't want anyone to leave here like I have at many, many church services and go and go, what in the world was he talking about? What was the big idea today? Well, in seminary, uh, Dr. Wicker always made us point out what was the big idea about whatever we were talking about. And I'm so grateful to Dr. Wicker for teaching me that. If you know the big idea, you know where, where we're coming from and where we're headed. So before we do that, part of the big idea here is uh, we now have a fire pit with benches. Isn't that incredible? We have such talented people here. Somebody can take trees that get struck by lightning here and turn them into beautiful pieces of furniture upon which we can praise the Lord. I think that's pretty cool. Others came last night and spent four hours of their time, six hours, renaming our mics because our mics get all swapped around we're kind of always in a state of chaos and so all these little miracles are happening and they're the things that god lays on your heart in here as well uh, i couldn't get the projector to work last night lorenzo and winnie came to my rescue and figured that all out so we have the backup plan now and it works so we have redundancy we might even get a third piece of redundancy just to make sure but anyway i, I love this pit maybe when it gets back down to 20 degrees, we'll go ahead and have our service out there. That's what I think we need to do. So let's go straight to our text today. Jump right in it. We have quite a few slides. There's some fun things. It's a odd. It's one of those odd chapters of the Bible. And, and you think, how weird is this? Because we're going to see this guy, Jephthah, call to the Lord to be a judge at this point, making this really strange vow. And we're going to analyze what I think is the meaning of that vow. So we're going to read right now. Judges chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Lord, may you please bless the reading of your word. Lord, let it leap off the pages and into our hearts. And Lord, may it change us. May we inwardly digest your word so that we won't sin against you as it says in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite. Now, Gileadites are Jews. Okay, they were part of one of these little subsects in Israel, was a mighty man of valor. But he was the son of a harlot. In Gilead, someone says, uh-oh. <laughs> but he was the son of a harlot, and Gilead begot Jephthah. So there was a guy named Gilead who had Jephthah with this harlot. Gilead's wife bore sons also, and when his son's wife's sons grew up, 
they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together. Wow, what a description. Worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. So we're going to see God call this person and use this person that is a raider, basically. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought about it. It kind of is a description of these ISIS kind of a people, like Taliban. You know, these Middle Eastern people that have no place or plan or purpose in their lives. They come along, and they end up raiding and and plundering. And I thought this was weird. I found them here on the Internet eating ice cream cones. You know, one minute they're eating ice cream cones, and the next minute they're, they're shooting at you, okay? But that's the kind of outfit that Jephthah was. I thought I'd put that up there so we could sort of imagine in a Middle Eastern way what these people were like. So what are we told from the text there? Number one, he was a mighty man of valor. So God considered him a mighty man of valor, or at least whoever wrote the text uh, considered him a mighty man of valor. Uh, would it be Samuel that wrote this text, Sandy? I can't remember who wrote the book of Judges. Not sure, but his father was, a Gilead, was Gilead, that was his name, he was a Jew, and his mother was a harlot, okay, or a prostitute, if you don't know what a harlot is. And I looked up Josephus, Josephus was a Jewish historian that wrote at this time, and I looked up to see what he would have said about him, it's so fascinating. There's all these thousands of pages of the histories of history of the Jews that you can read online, and I found, and, I've, and when you get the written sermon tonight, I actually have given you the, the, the place where you can go on the internet and read what Josephus said about the events that we're reading. And, and I read it, and it said, Josephus calls her a strange woman. Well, I think he said she was, he was with this harlot that was this strange woman. And I think what Josephus is trying to tell us is that she was a Gentile. She was a Canaanite, okay? So he had a Canaanite prostitute, and he had this child named Jephthah with this Canaanite prostitute. I just wanted to diverge a little bit and say how important it is the, the effect that women have on children in their home. It's very, very important. I know in my own home, my mother nurtured me. My mother was the first one to introduce me to the concept of Jesus. It wasn't my dad. It was my mother. I remember when I was four or five that said, come son, sit down, get on our knees and let's pray together to the Lord. That was my little mama. That you guys helped me bury mom. And mom spiritually nurtured me. And later on, that was while my dad was teaching me how to survive in the world. My mom was teaching me how to survive spiritually. How to have an understanding of God. And I think we're going to see the effect that this woman, this Canaanite woman, had on Jephthah. We read that his brothers ostracized him. And he fled to this land of Tob. And a worthless men banded together with him and carried out raiding. Let's now read verses 4 through 11, okay? And it came to pass, sorry, y'all, my eyes are getting worse and worse, yeah. After a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. So they're going, you know what? Let's go get this guy. He may be a thug, but let's make him our thug. I mean, really, that's that's what's happening here. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we might fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? He said, Oh, y'all want me now, huh? 
What happened? You didn't want me before. Y'all hated me. Now you're asking me to come. He wants him to eat a little crow, okay? Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? Because they don't want to get eaten up by the Ammonites. That's why they came to him. And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all of the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? Are you going to put me in charge? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. All right, so what we have, as I said, we have these elders approaching him, hiring him as their thug, and they are calling him to be a judge. I think it's a little interesting because it was the Lord that called Gideon. Remember when the Lord went down to the wine press and called Gideon? And here, people are calling him. We see the degeneration of the people of Israel. Not saying God didn't use Jephthah, he's going to use him, but it's just kind of interesting that it was the people that called him and not God. Verse 12, now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me, that you have come to fight against me and my land? So Jephthah saying to these kings, Why are you all up here making war on the Israelites, okay? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok. Jabbok is a river. And to the Jordan. Now, therefore, restore these lands peaceably. So it's kind of interesting. He's talking about an event that had happened several hundred years before. We're going to talk about how this is being echoed today in modern politics. So the king of Ammon, he goes back, as I say, several hundred years in time when they had first entered the land. And the Lord freed them from Egypt, and the Lord gave them a land as part of their inheritance. We talked about that when we studied the book of Ephesians together. Israel received a physical inheritance, and we have received a spiritual inheritance. Remember, we talked about that. Jephthah knew the history of Israel, and what we see is him recounting a true story of what had happened. All right, so we're going to see that first he sent some ambassadors to there. So let's go now to verse 14. 14 through 22. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom, saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. Y'all remember how long they were in Kadesh? Thirty-eight and a half years. All right. God had intended them to take an 11-day journey from Egypt into the Promised Land, and it took them 40 years. Okay? And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab, and they came to the east side of the land of Moab. This is all over where the modern state of Jordan is today. And they encamped on the other side of the Arnon, but they did not enter the border of Moab, for the, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. 
Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Let us pass, pass through your land into our place. But Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped in Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel, listen to this, delivered Sihon and all of his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all of the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. And they took possession of all of the territory of the Amorites from the Arnon to the Jabbok and from the wilderness to Jordan. So what's happening is Jephthah saying, look, we came in there when we came out of Egypt. And all we wanted to do was pass through your land and you wouldn't let us pass it. Then you came and you declared war on us and we beat you. So now the land's ours, and you're going to be bringing up something that happened a couple of hundred years ago. So that is his argument. He's arguing the history of Israel in that place. Okay? So Jephthah was telling them this, and now the Lord God, this is verse 23, has dispossessed the Amorites from before his people Israel. Should you then possess it? And then he says this is a jab. Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. So Jephthah's telling them, look, you keep what your God gave you, and we're going to keep what our God gave us. That's basically his argument. And we're going to find that, that although Jephthah knew all about the history of Israel, it's important to realize he did not know much about the God of Israel. He knew a little bit, but he had been raised by this Canaanite woman, and he's going to end up trying to deal with God as though God were a Canaanite God. Do you understand me? It's, it's kind of a fascinating read, really. When you first read it, you go, what in the world can I learn out of this? But I, I think we learn a lot of stuff. Now, I wanted to just say this is a familiar story, and history repeats itself. I don't talk in here about politics, so I'm, I'm not really talking about politics. I'm talking about a reality. The reality is that God promised land to the Jews, Okay. And back from the 1800s, the late eight, Jews have always lived in what the world now calls Palestine. Not in great numbers, but they've lived there, and they lived throughout all of the Arab Middle East from the time of Christ on up to just 1947 when, they, when the Jews were kicked out of the Arab countries, okay? And what happened was, at that time, these were little settlements. I'm going back to 47. I just wanted to show you. These are little settlements. That's the, sea of, uh, that's the Dead Sea. These were little settlements, settlements of Jewish people in what was called Palestine at that time, okay? In 1947, the UN made a plan and gave this part to Israel. They, it was called the partition. And the green part would be for the Pal what were the people, the Arabs that lived there that were called themselves Palestinians, okay? Well, when this happened, the surrounding Arab countries all declared war on Israel, Okay, they declared war on Israel when Israel declared it's in, that it was going to be a country. And they all came in, and they made war on Israel. And Israel, against all odds, won the war. And they won, they won territory, just like, just like Jephthah's talking here, you know, 3,000 years earlier. Isn't that fascinating? But it's really the same kind of deal. So once they did that, they kept the, the, the land that they had, up until 67, when I was 11 years old, there was something called the Six-Day War. And they declared war again on Israel, went in, 
And what happened was Israel won. It was an amazing sequence of events that happened that was nothing short of miraculous. And when Israel won that war, then this is what Israel ended up left with. They just kept gaining and gaining territory, okay? Just kind of explaining it's sort of a mirror of what happened at this time of Jephthah that we're watching. Let's go now to verse 25, and we're going to read through verse 31, okay? Um, I got to get some really stronger glasses. 25, 25. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon for 300 years, why did you not recover them with, within that time? He's saying, look, this went on for 300 years. You're coming to me now declaring war against us? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you have wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord, the judge, render judgment this day between the, Ammon, the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not heed the words which Jephthah sent him. Okay, so there we have the predicate of what's going to happen. That means the foundation of what's being laid about what we're going to read about now. And the text then tells us that the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. All right? I want to talk about this for a minute. Pastor Larry and I were talking this week about, you know, when it says that the Holy Spirit came on people in the past where they indwelt did it somehow come on them was it anointing what was it and I thought about it and we talked about it and I think the bottom line is this the Holy Spirit is who he is the Holy Spirit has been who he is since he is since he was and he always was okay so the working of the Holy Spirit has changed but the Holy Spirit is no different so I think these people were indwelt by the Holy Spirit but the difference between them and us is that we cannot lose the Holy Spirit once you are secure in Christ, once you have accepted the Lord, you receive His Holy Spirit, and you can't ever lose it. All right? You might push the Spirit away from you. It's still in you. But, I mean, where you're putting more and more of your flesh there instead of submitting to the Holy Spirit and letting Him work in your life. But back in the day, we know from reading Psalm 51, where David has sinned with Bathsheba, that he says, Lord, take not your Spirit from me, okay? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. So I think... The working of the Holy Spirit was the same, but the difference was for them it was temporary and for us it's permanent. Just thought I'd lay that to rest. I mean, I don't know if I'm right or wrong, but that's kind of how I, I got to thinking, wait a minute, God's God. He's always been God. The Holy Spirit is a he, it's not an it, okay? So, yeah, in David it said, David had said, create in me a clean heart, O God, but renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So he's saying, Lord, don't take it away from me, because I know you can. And remember, the Holy Spirit came on Saul, and what did the Lord do? Took it away, removed it, all right? But Jesus said, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So we have this gift, this deposit, each of us as believers, that deposit that Pastor Michael talks about, that was given to us when we first believed. And it is that that deposit that holy spirit within it he's the deposit on the inheritance that inheritances that we receive so i'm a little tongue-tied today and and it's the deposit within us that empowers us that illuminates us that comforts us he's there within us amen and we forget that we think you know come holy spirit he's with you 
He's with you all the time. But say, Lord, open my eyes so that I can see you, <laughs> that I can see you working in and through me. Then we have this very, very odd, strange vow, okay? This is kind of the crux of what we're headed to here. 32, so Jephthah advanced towards the people of Ammon to fight against them. And the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from the Aurora as far as Minneth, 20 cities into Abel Karaim, with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. Verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter. Dan uh, wait a minute, I've missed something here. I missed the vow, okay. So where is the vow here? I'm sorry, y'all. Maybe it's so. So when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. Okay, well, what had happened was he made a vow. Okay, in verse 35. I'm sorry, I'll need new glasses. 35. No, that's, and it came about. Yeah, verse 30. Thank you. Y'all help me preach here today. So in 30, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and he said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, he's saying, Whatever comes out of the door, if I win, Lord, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall be surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So the question that scholars have asked is, What came out of the house? What happened? All right, here we go. Back to verse uh, 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him. So his daughter comes out of the house with timbrels and dancing. And she was his only child, and besides her had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes, and he said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, Father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies. The people of Ammon, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done to me. Let me be alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So what happens is he makes this strange vow. He says, I'm going to either set apart, and it's vague here what he's saying, okay? And uh, so the question we're going to get to today is, did he or did he not sacrifice his daughter? I just kind of want to talk about that, because we don't want to ever shy from anything that we read in the Bible. And if you're new to, to Union Grove, you'll know that we kind of go verse by verse, and we look at everything, and we kind of try to sort it out and figure it out. What is God trying to communicate to us through these things? I found this. I saw all these old Italian things, and every one of them had him stabbing his daughter, some in, in the chest, some in the head, and it was kind of weird. I just thought I'd put one of them up there. So it's a puzzling piece of Scripture. Some say that he went through with it, and he offered up his daughter as a burnt offering. Sandy and I talked about this week, and so if you think that he went through with it and he offered her up as a burnt offering from what the text says, raise your hand. Okay, so Kelton believes that, Sherry, and okay, yeah, that he did that, all right? I don't think he did that. 
not that I'm right, but I'm going to tell you why I don't think that. That's again, it's a lawyer looking at evidence here. Others think he just caused her to be a, a virgin for the rest of her life. And there are several ideas that support the position that he did not sacrifice his daughter. So he may have sacrificed her, but he may not have. And I don't think that he did. And I'm going to tell you why. First off, the four positions that I came up with against the what I call the sacrifice outcome is number one, he must have known the more significant principles of the Torah. That's God's instruction. He would have had it, okay? Now, I'm not saying he knew much about God's word because I don't think he did. But everybody that was in Israel knew that human sacrifice was something that God didn't approve of, okay? So he at least would have known that. And I think it's kind of odd, though, that he did try to make this deal with God. Any of y'all ever tried to make a deal with God? Lord, help me win the lotto and I'll give you 10%. Anybody ever said that? Let me tell you something right now. You can't make deals with God. And you know why you can't? Because God is God and you're not. Okay, right? So we can't make deals with God. So he's treating God like a Canaanite God. Saying, Lord, if you give me this victory then I'm going to sacrifice my daughter or I'm going to put her away, okay? Or and put her away. We'll, we'll look at what I think this could have meant. And Dr. House and I talked about this last Tuesday. So he knew in Deuteronomy 18, 9 through 14, that God has, had explicitly forbidden human sacrifice. So that's a good reason that he probably wouldn't have done it. But maybe he disobeyed the Torah, okay, and did it. So let's look at number two. Others say that if he had tried to do this, in Gilead, the Jews that were there would not have let him get away with it. There's other instances in Scripture where we see Jews stepping in and stopping things that happen like that. That would be the second position. This, to me, is one of the most compelling. That means most convincing for y'all that don't understand legal terminology. It's compelling because the prophet Samuel and the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 speak positively about Jephthah. Why would they ever talk positively about Jephthah if he had sacrificed his daughter? He wouldn't have. He, they, it would have said something like there, and then there was the case of Jephthah, who went against what God had wanted, and he sacrificed his own daughter. Instead, it puts him in the Hebrews in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. There's Jephthah right along with the rest, which I think is kind of interesting. He's mentioned in that light, and he never would have been mentioned that way if he had really killed his daughter. And then last but not least, this is kind of what Dr. House and I were talking about, and I wasn't exactly convinced when you showed me, Dr. House, but I think now I think this is probably good, good evidence that he didn't kill his daughter. The common view is that Jephthah gave his daughter to be a perpetual virgin, virgin in the service of Yahweh. That was not unusual. They had a protocol where they would dedicate. Remember when Samuel was dedicated to the temple as a little boy? Do you all remember that? Other people were dedicated to the temple. And so uh, rabbis and other people that have read this text think what he was doing was saying, I will either dedicate what comes out of my house to the temple or I will sacrifice it. Because the word vav in Hebrew, which is just a letter, scholars say can mean and or or. So that makes sense to me, okay? So what he really said, Jephthah's vow was what, that whatever came forth from the doors of his house shall surely be the Lord's, and then let's put or there instead. 
or I will b offer it up for a burnt offering. So that's a way to read the text. If we put and there, will surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. See how that can be confusing, Kelton? So you can see now there's a compelling reason that he didn't sacrifice his daughter. That's one reason I told Kelton he was teaching us judges. I said, you're going to chicken out when we get to Jephthah. He said, no, no, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to tell exactly what it says. We didn't get that far for some reason. So like I say, the Hebrew letter Vav can be and or or. The idea of perpetual virginity is supported strongly in verses 37 through 39. So let's read 37 and 39. <clears throat> then she said to her father, let this thing be done to me. Let's say a perpetual virgin. Let me be alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. She didn't say bewail my impending death. Y'all see what I'm saying? Okay, so he said, go, and he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her what? Her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. It didn't say he carried out his vow and he killed her. Okay, she knew no man. So that is the, that is the most sensible interpretation of that piece of Scripture. Do you all follow me? Sometimes we go through great gymnastics to try to get Scripture to say what we want it to say instead of what it is that God's trying to say to us. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went forth days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. So what can we learn from this? Okay? A couple of interesting things. What we can learn is that he knew about God, but he didn't really know God very intimately. He knew some stuff about God's Word, but he hadn't really studied God's Word enough to really understand the character of God, the essence of God, the promises of God, and the things of God. How do we know this? Because let's say for a second, if he had have sacrificed her, he had an easy way out if he had just known the Scriptures. Here's something out of Levitic Leviticus 27. It's really interesting. It's talking about when a woman's been dedicated or a man's been offered up for service at the temple, it was very, very easy to redeem them from that. Listen, if anyone makes a special vow to dedicate a person to the Lord, isn't that what he did? Okay. By giving the equivalent value, set the value of a male ages of 20 and 60 at 50 shekels according to the sanctuary shekel. For a female, set her value at 36 shekels. For a person between the ages of 5 and 20, set the value of a male at 20 and of a female at 10 shekels. So for 10 shekels, he could have said, you know what? I didn't want to make this silly, stupid vow. I didn't want to do this. I want, I want to have grandkids because the text tells us she was his only daughter. So when Jephthah is committing her to the temple, he's really saying, I will have no heirs. Do y'all follow me? It was a big sacrifice for Jephthah as well as for her. I think these are things that we don't readily see when we read a text, but, but that are very, very important to understand the bottom line in the text. So we get to know God through a relationship with him. I don't present the gospel every week here, but that's how you have a relationship with God. It's when we trust and we believe, as Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is God, 
and confess with our mouth that God raised him from the dead, we're saved. It's that simple. That is the gospel. Jesus died for me. He died for you. When we put our faith in that as the payment for our sins on that cross, he was then raised. And you know what? He's coming back for us again. That's the really good news to me. So he knew about God, but he didn't know God. And Michael, you and I have talked about this a lot. Knowing about God is really kind of helpful, but it's not the same as knowing God. And for us, to, he knew all about Israel's history. He recounted it accurately, but he didn't know God's word. It's a perfect example this morning of why we need to not only know God, but we need to know his word. When we know God's word, guys, it keeps us from getting off into what I call the spiritual weeds. We're grounded when we know his word. It grounds us in our friendships it ground, with one another. It grounds us in our marriage. It grounds us in our relationship with one another here in fellowship. Okay? But we don't know these things. We don't, we're, we're not born knowing them. You call it learned behavior. It's learned knowledge. You can accept the Lord and be filled with the Holy Spirit and really not understand the character of God. Okay? There we saw Jephthah. Jephthah had the Holy Spirit. But he didn't understand the deeper things of God because he, he was ignorant of the things of God's Word. Can I get an amen? So for me, that's the message in this this morning is that we need to be intent, and we are in here, about studying God's Word. We studied a very odd, curious chapter today. As Pastor Larry says, it's, it's uh, amazing the kind of milk we can sometimes get out of a dry cow. That, that's a farm boy from Ohio talking. Problem is, we just don't know how to get the milk out. It's in there. The cow's really not dry. You follow me? Because God wrote it, and he wrote it for us to benefit from and to increase in our knowledge and our understanding of the Lord Jesus. Amen? All right. We are now going to celebrate, uh, and we're, gonna, we're gonna, going to go to the Lord today in communion. It's communion with one another and with him. And we're going to